You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, just because the wife is to submit to her husband does not give the husband the right to act like a tyrant around the house, as I've already suggested. You know, if you think the women's standard here in our text was high, I mean, think about it, the man's standard is even higher. In today's message, Pastor Mike will continue to speak to husbands about what it means to care for their wives in a biblical way and how to practically live out biblical care in marriage. The Bible says that a husband should love his wife as he loves himself. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, all of us love ourselves. We take care of ourselves and do what we need to do to be happy and healthy. Husbands ought to express the same love and care for their wives. This pleases the Lord. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 as he continues his message, Instructions for a Great Marriage. I remember what you said You returned that I might live In my Father's house Most of that verses 18 through 21, has to do with being filled with the Spirit of God. The key text there, or the key verse, actually, is verse 18, where he says, but be ye filled with the Spirit. So listen, that's what it's going to take, you know, for us to obey these directions as it relates to the marriage relationship, whether you're a wife or a husband. This applies to both uh, partners, both spouses. You're not going to be able to fulfill these charges unless, in fact, you are filled with the Spirit of God. But the difficulty to obey. And I'm not going to stand before you and tell you that it's not difficult to obey. It's extremely hard to make that adjustment. I mean, what a a, a crazy transitional time it is for when two people, two distinct individuals, come together. Especially if you've been a bachelor or a bachelorette for, for a while, right? and to making those kinds of adjustments and relating to one another the way that God wants us to relate. But even, you know, throw this in the mix, which even makes it more difficult, living in the day that we live in where we are discouraged to do those sorts of things. So Paul uh, realized the difficulty for the women to obey, but he also realizes that husbands have trouble having their, uh, loving their wives and doing that as well. And thus he writes 
Go back to our text. Notice once again in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay, so Paul offers examples of submission here in this section of the book of Ephesians. Wives to their husbands, verses 22 through 24. Children to their parents. In fact, let's go ahead and address that. Children to their parents. I'll just touch on a couple of things. But let's go on. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, part of the Ten Commandments. What's the promise? Verse 3. That it may be well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. Listen, let me tell you something. You honor your mother and your father, and God will bless you for that. And everything that you put your hand to will prosper. You'll live a very long life. And he'll give you the capacity to be able to take care of your mother and your father. That's a part of the promise. And then in verse 4, he goes on to declare, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now that raises the question, and this really isn't a part of this message, but I'm going to throw it in there. I'm not going to charge you anything extra for this, by the way. But, you know, how can we actually, think about this now, provoke our children to wrath? So I'm addressing parents right now. And we can actually provoke our children to wrath. How can, there's a couple of, there's a variety of actual ways that we can go about doing it. Like, for example, we can frustrate them by teasing them, you know, and uh, we think it's cute. Like, for example, when the little kids are, you know, we're always messing around with the little kids, right? And uh, we'll, we'll show them something, like a toy, and we'll put it in front of them, and then they'll go to, to grab it, and we'll pull it back. And, uh, and they'll look at you like, what are you doing? You offered it to me. And then we'll put it again to them. And not that I've ever done this. <laughs> but, and then we'll put it out to them again, and they'll go to grab it, and we'll put it back. And, and they get all frustrated, right? And... Uh, and they're, they're so, they get angry, and we're teasing them, and we think, it's oh, it's so cute. Look how angry they are. Well, what is that? That's insane. That's crazy. Or how, by, how about by unjust or unexplained punishment? You know, I think that there's a way to go about disciplining our children. But I think before we discipline them, whether or not you feel as if, you know, you should use or not use corporal punishment, I think there's a place for corporal punishment, but I don't think that we should use it all of the time. We're setting our child's perimeters. There comes a time in an age in which corporal punishment doesn't do anything except to provoke your children to anger. You know what I'm saying? You don't spank a teenage kid, right? And uh, so, you know, we really got to be careful about the way that we administer our discipline. But I think before we discipline our children, we ought to explain to them why we're disciplining them. They might not even know why we're disciplining them. And say, listen, you know what? I'm, I'm setting perimeters. I'm, I'm going to make sure. What I'm trying to do is make sure that you don't uh, go outside of those boundaries that I've set for you. Because if you do, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be injured. And I, don't, I love you that much. And so I'm going to have to discipline you to reinforce this. And... Uh, and so you explain it to them, and then if corporal punishment is appropriate, you know, spank them. And then after you spank them, don't leave them there crying. Embrace them and let them know that you love them. 
And so if you don't do that, this is just another way to provoke your children to wrath by unjust or unexplained punishment. Or how about making unreasonable demands of them? You know, when you were a kid, you didn't realize certain goals. Now you have your own children and you're trying to live your life through them. What you weren't able to accomplish, now you demand of them that they accomplish. And you're living your life. That's wrong. And you can actually, in all of these different ways, and there's so much more. I mean, I can go on forever. But these are just some of the ways that we can provoke our children to anger. So anyway, Paul offers three examples of submission here in this section of Ephesians. Wives to their husbands, verses 22 through 24. Children to their parents, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And then slaves to their masters, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Now, of course, you're not a slave, but this would also apply employees as they relate to their employers and employers the way that they relate to their employees. Let's go ahead and read that. Verse 5, bondservants. Sometimes don't you feel like you're a bondservant or a slave at your place of employment? It shouldn't be like that. Unfortunately, it is because you're working for a hard taskmaster, right? Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service. Now, what is he referring to here? You know, when the boss is around, when he's looking over your shoulder, then you're really busy. And then when he walks out of the office, you know, you just kind of kick him back, right? And not putting in an honest day's wage for an honest day's pays. You're serving your employer with eye service. That's what that looks like. So not with eye service as men pleases, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You know, the truth of the matter is you're actually employed by the Lord. I mean, how many of us, you know, when we were uh, interviewing for that job, prayed, oh God, you know my needs. You know, I got to take care of my family. Got to put food on the table, pay my kids' tuitions, uh, pay my mortgage payment or whatever. And uh, Lord, if you just, you know, give me this job. Lord, I'll serve you there. I'll be a light shining in the midst of darkness, right? I'll be your witness in that place of employment. And then God responded, gave you that job. We forget who we're working for. It was God who gave you that job, right? And so we do it as unto the Lord. Well, he goes on. And he declares, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So, you know, you don't even have to look to your employer, you know, for all of the perks of of putting in an honest day's wage for an honest day's job. The Lord will reward you. And you masters, then he turns to the masters or your employers, and he gets on them. He says, do the same thing to them, giving up threatenings, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with them. So we are to relate to them in this way, pleasing the Lord, if you happen to be in a position of being an employer. Okay, so did you notice in all of these examples, they all involve submission. They're examples of what Paul is talking about back in chapter 5 and verse 21. Remember in one of our previous studies? Chapter 5 and verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, as far as marriage is concerned, Paul is saying 
that the wife is to assume a subordinate role in her home. Now, let me clarify this. This is not a matter of equality. We are all equal and valuable to God. The man isn't more valuable than the woman, right? And uh, so don't misunderstand, don't be confused by that. We are all equal and valuable to God. And notice this submission is voluntary. It means no woman need accept the proposal of any man. It's a choice that you make. You know, some guy comes along and he woos you. You've been dating for a while and all of a sudden he drops to his knee and he holds out a little box and opens it up with a ring in it and he asks you to marry him. Hey, you don't have to accept that proposal, right? If you don't want to, it's a choice that you have to make. Hey, listen, if you want to go on being a lone ranger, you know, just go for it. If that's the way that you want to live your life. But if you accept that proposal and desire to be what God wants you to be, and you accept, then therefore you have to accept the headship of your husband. But if you do, contrary to what people are telling you, you will be blessed. But unfortunately, many women fight against this, but let me say there are many men who give them just cause. There are many men in the marriage relationship who abuse their headship. They take advantage of their position. There's no putting their wife and their family first. They sort of like use their wives as like doormats. And under those kinds of situations, you are not under any obligation to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Uh, we'll further develop this in just a moment. But anyway, you know, deep down, I think that this is what women really want. You say, how's that? Well, this is a man she can look up to, whose judgment she can respect, whose leadership she can respond to. But if they don't get this in a man, they feel cheated. And thus begins the quest for mastery. They don't want to boss men around, but if they have to, they surely will, right? I hear, I, you know, I hear the problems and the conflicts. And i got to tell you something. More than 50% of counseling that I do is marriage counseling, right? And there's this war going on in the marriage relationship in the family. So anyway, verse 22, right? Again, women want their man to rule them and their home gently with respect and with love. And so, verse 22, the instruction, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And notice, in this analogy, between the way she submits to Jesus Christ as Lord of her life, and the way she submits to her husband as Lord of her home. This is because God has made the husband to be head of his wife, just as he made Christ to be head of the church which is his body. So wives, submit. This is part of God's plan. Your marriage and life will be blessed. Okay, so that's the instructions given to the women by Paul the Apostle. Okay, let's go now and address the men. And that brings us to our fourth point, and that is instructions for the husbands. Verses 25 through 28. Let's read that once again. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, just because the wife is to submit to her husband does not give the husband the right to act like a tyrant around the house, as I've already suggested. You know, if you think the women's standard here in our text was high, I mean, think about it, the man's standard is even higher. I mean, notice what's recorded there in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it. Listen, I don't think any woman will have any problem submitting to the man who loves her like that, like who's willing to die for her, right? And notice, in talking about the husband, Paul uses, the husband's duty, Paul uses five verbs drawn from Christ's actions towards his bride, the church. The first of which is found in verse 25. The first verb is love. What are we told there? Christ loved the church. And that word love there is the uh, Greek word agape, and it implies action. It's a choice. It implies you and you alone, as the husband is addressing and looking to the wife, you and you alone shall reign in my heart, acknowledging it's you I long for, without whom I am incomplete. I will give up everything for you. I will never force you. I will guard you. I will protect you. I want to share with you all my thoughts, my heart, my body. Why? Because I love you. That's the first verb. And that's what that looks like. Listen, love like that makes a marriage and a home blessed. Let me ask you a question. Husbands, are you loving your wives like that? You need to. And if you're not, ask God to help you, and he will. You can be sure that he'll answer that prayer. The next verb, also found and recorded in verse 25, it says, Christ gave himself up for the church. The first verb was love, right? It's a verb in action. The second verb is the word gave. Christ gave himself up for the church. Now, the full measure of Christ's love for the church was his dying for her. Now, most of us, husbands, will never have a chance to put love to that great and ultimate test. But we do have countless lesser opportunities and ways to show our love daily. You know, there's the story of a wife who told her husband, listen, honey, I know that you're willing to die for me. You have told me that many times. But listen, while you're waiting to die, could you just fill in some of the time by helping me wash the dishes? <laughs> Jesus gave himself for the church. And that's the way that we are to offer ourselves up for our wives. The third verb here in this text 
is found in verse 27. We are told Christ's goal is to make the church holy. What does it say there in verse 27? That she should be holy. The word holy comes from the Greek word hagios, and it means to sanctify or to set apart. Holy for God. So that, that's what we need to be thinking about as we relate to our wives. In marriage, that's the husband's responsibility, winning them for devotion to Jesus, always having their wives' spiritual development in view. We're always, more than anything else, we should be concerned about that, the way that our wives are growing in their walk and their relationship with the Lord. Okay, the next verb is recorded for us in verse 26. We are told there that Christ is cleansing, the word cleansing, his church through the word. Now, that word cleansing, this verb also carries along with it the spiritual meaning of the verb sanctify or make holy, teaching us that God holds husbands responsible for the spiritual growth and maturing of his wife, as well as his children. So how do we go about doing that? Well, how about pouring the word into her, into them, into their life, not only through reading the Bible, but also by deed and example. You know, when was the last time that you sat down with your wife and had a Bible study? When was the last time you, you know, uh, set aside some time, sat on the couch together, and read a portion of Scripture together? When was the last time you had a devotional uh, together? We need to pour the word into our wives, into the lives of our children, right? And not only in word, but also in deed. And then the last verb that I want to draw your attention to, notice it says there also in verse 27, that Christ will present the church as a radiant bride without blemish. That is at the end product when the church shall appear in perfection. Now, as this relates to the husband, he will never use his leadership to crush or stifle his wife or frustrate her from being herself, but rather his love for her will enable her to develop her full potential under God and so become more complete herself. Listen, gang. God created marriage in order that a man and a woman might find the deepest of all possible fulfillments in each other and be happy. But to experience this, we need to follow, as I mentioned before, the manufacturer's service manual, right? We need to heed the word of God. And so may God help all of us to put his instructions for a happy marriage into practice. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. 
For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.